I'm going to ask you to turn to Psalm 121 in your Bibles. You can open up just to the middle. You should find uh, 121 there. Uh, We have been going through the book of Romans, as you know. This morning we're going to take a break uh, in light of moving into summer. Hold up Psalm 121. I think this will be helpful for us. Uh, It certainly is Memorial Day weekend. It's a time to remember uh, those that have given uh, their life for us in this country. But it also serves as a transition uh, for many families into summer. It's usually around this time that school is out, public and private. It's moving in that direction. And uh, the gears of summer are starting to to grind and to to move forward. There's going to be trips. There's going to be vacations. There's going to be special activities. Uh, I would say it's going to be really hot, but it is really hot. This is a time of transition. There's going to be a lot of activity, a lot going on. And so enter Psalm 121, which I hope will serve us to serve as, a, as an anchor, as a way to, as a psalm that we can go uh, back to uh, over the, the summer weeks as a reminder who it is that uh, we serve, who it is that loves us, who it is that watches over us, who it is that keeps us, and the power of those promises would resonate with us. So as you're able, as you're able to stand, let's Stand for the reading of God's word, Psalm chapter 121. Hear God's word to us. A song of ascents, verse 1. I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. You will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. This is God's word. It's absolutely true and given to us in love. Would you pray with me? Father God, the promises that are here are rich and overwhelming. We pray that we would find ourselves resting in them and encouraged, strengthened, and sharpened by them. In Christ's name, amen. Please be seated. James Petty, in his book, uh, Step by Step, recounts a trip that he took. It was a missions trip. He and probably a, a dozen or so college students We're in South America, and uh, part of this trip meant a lot of traveling. So they had to travel from two Colombian cities. What's special about this traveling is how they had to take this uh, mountainous road to get there. Uh, They woke up at 6 o'clock in the morning. All of them piled into the bus, and they started out. It was like a 12-hour trip. If you've ever traveled for a long period of time like that, you know how exhausting that can be. And as they're making their way along this trip, it wasn't so much the exhaustion that stuck out to Petty about this trip. What stuck out to him was, for one, that the road that they were on was this one-lane gravel road that was winding its way through this mountainous pass. If they were to, if you looked out the window of the bus and looked down, you're not going to see the, the shoulder of the road. What you're going to see is probably a, about a 1,000-foot drop-off. 
It just drops off. There's just nothing there. They would approach these uh, switchbacks or these tight turns, and the bus would get there. They would stop, honk the horn to make sure that no, nobody was around the corner, and then they would proceed to go up. And so you can imagine how unnerving this would be to, to make this trip where there's along this single-lane road where there are no guardrails. It's just this dirt gravel road winding up this mountainous pass. And Petty noticed as the road was going forward that there were these memorial markers along the way. One there, one here. Just every so often you see these markers. And then he figured out what they were. Those were places where somebody had died. A loved one had, had passed away, and they put these markers up there to, to remember them, which makes sense because there's no guardrails on this road, and it's so dangerous. It's so high up on this, this cliff-like pass as you're going along. And Petty began to, to think about that as the bus is moving forward. There's no guardrails. There's no sense of protection. But then he realized there really are guardrails there. That, spiritually speaking, that, that nothing is going to happen to Petty, to those other individuals on that bus, unless God wills it, unless God purposes it. In the sense in which he was saying, there may have been no guardrails, but there was the unseen hand of God's providence guiding us and holding us and keeping us safe. Psalm 121 celebrates this kind of providence to us. That, that, that we have this, this God that watches over us day and night. He never tires. He never rests. He's always there keeping and watching over us by his good providence. And I want this to be a comfort to us. I want this to be a reality to us. That this psalm, that you would make it personally your own over these summer months as you go in and out of your activities, in and out of work, in and out of travel, in and out of various disappointments and frustrations and excitements, that you remember that God is your keeper, that God's good hand of providence is guiding and directing you. And to further clarify this, this providence that I think the psalmist brings out, I want to talk about God's providence in two ways. I want to talk about it in the sense of how it's trustworthy, we can trust his providence and some evidence in this passage that, that leads us in that direction. And then how we can take this God's, this, this providence personally. How we, this needs to be personally true for us and some evidence of that as well. So two points this morning. Two points. God's providence as trustworthy. God's providence as personal. First, God's providence as trustworthy. Verses 1 and 2. I lift my eyes up to the hills from where does my help come. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. You notice that David lifts up his eyes and he's looking forward and he looks into these hills. And commentators will see that. And there's, there's some questioning. As he looks at those hills, what is David thinking? Is he thinking those hills are a problem or is he thinking those hills are a solution? Is he looking up in those hills and seeing danger, risk, uh, unseen threats coming at him? Are those hills a threat to him? And that's why he's wanting to, to look for help? Or does he look in those hills and say, that's a solution for me? Uh, the hills promise refuge. They promise strength. They promise a, a place to hide. What, what is he looking to those hills to be there for him? That either way, whether it's a problem or a solution that those hills are, he's still asking the question, 
where is my help going to come from? Where is my help going to come from? We've got to pause here for a moment. And the reason I think we need to pause here for a moment is linger over that question. Is that the question of your heart? Is that the question in your life? Where is my help going to come from? Because if that's not the question you are asking, if you don't see a need to ask that kind of question, then the God of Psalm 121, the promises of Psalm 121, they are not going to have any weight in your life. They're not going to get any traction in your life. These promises are not going to be rich and true to you unless you realize that I'm a person that needs help. To be a Christian means that you are asking that question all the time. Because you know the reality of distress. You know the reality of trouble. You know the reality of, of just struggle that goes on in your own heart with sin, with, with obedience, faithfulness, uh, trusting him with this or with that. You, you know that you need help to do all of those things. That question should be a real and constant question upon our hearts. Because to be a Christian is to know that we need help. So this, this psalm is not just for those people out there. Those people are going through difficult times or in the hospital or have got some kind of bad prognosis or have some children that are really difficult right now or a really difficult moment. It's not for them, but it's for us. It's for all of us because we all need God's help in one shape, in some form. Back to the text. The answer to that question leads David past those hills, to look past that, and say, my help is who? My help is in the Lord who made heaven and earth. My help comes from the creator, not from creation. My help comes from somebody outside of all of this. Let's put all this together. Not any resources of my own, not the resources of my friends or my bank account or my connections or my strength of discipline. But ultimately, my help comes from the creator. My help comes from the Lord. Think about why that is so important. He doesn't say, my help comes from the Lord. He doesn't say, my help comes from my good shepherd. He doesn't say, my help comes from the Almighty. He says, my help comes from the one that created heaven and earth. And you think about the, the value and the, and the richness of that. John Webster, in his uh, write-up on this passage, just says, there's two things that are significant about that. When, when the psalmist says that his help comes from the one who made heaven and earth. For one, when we confess that our helper is the creator, we are saying our helper is the almighty. We're saying that the one that helps us has unlimited power, has unlimited resources, has unlimited strength, has unlimited wisdom, unlimited ability. We may fail. We may move into circumstances, and we failure of strength, failure of, of will, whatever it is. But God's resources do not end. Who God is will not fail us because he has unending power. He is the definition of power, and he's the one that helps us. The other reason why, the other reason why it's important for the creator to be our helper is because as the creator, we know that he is a God of providence. In other words, God has not just made everything, rounded up, so to speak, and just released it into space leaving it on its own. But God is with us. He, not only has he created us, but he's with us every step of the way. He's a God of providence. 
He's not a God of distance. He's not a God that draws back, but he is moving towards us and with us with his loving care and loving guidance. Author and theologian J.I. Packer talks about providence like this. He says, Providence teaches Christians that they are never in the grip of blind forces, meaning fortune, change, luck, fate. All that happens to them is divinely planned, and each event comes as a new summons to trust, obey, and rejoice, knowing that all is for one spiritual and eternal good. Everything that happens to us, everything that comes into our lives, comes from God's good providence. Ephesians 1, having been predestined according to the purposes of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. For those who love God, Paul tells us in Romans 8, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Our circumstances are not an accident. Your situation is not an oops. Your situation is not a, a your difficulty is not, oh, I forgot what was going on in his life. Let me go back and, and uh, look into that and, and think about that and, and do something there. God is guiding us by his providence, not by his accident, not by when he gets around to it. We are not alone. In your situation, be it going really good or kind of a struggle or kind of routine, he is there with you. You are not by yourself in this. Let me encourage you with this. When you think about God's providence in your life, think about it as a lens to view your situation. A lens by which you understand what is happening in your life. A lens by which you put God into the equation. You begin to, to wonder and to think, how is God working in this situation for my good? Doesn't mean that, God's providence doesn't mean that bad things will not happen to you. It means that God is using all those circumstances for our good and for his glory. Let me think about it like this. This was kind of a helpful for me. Imagine you're at a party. And uh, it's getting late into the evening, and a friend of yours is, is there, and he's had, or she, has had too many adult beverages, let's say. And uh, you know that you need to, to get those keys away from them because it's just not going to end well. And so you would never walk up to that person and say, you know what, or that person is never going to walk up to you and say, you know what, friend, I, I see that you haven't had too many adult beverages, you're in a good place, I'm not in a good place, and so I want to give you uh, the keys to my car so I don't get into trouble, okay? That's probably not going to happen. And if you went up to that person and just talked to them and say, hey, maybe you, should, you think you should give me your keys or not, they're going to argue with you, okay? They're probably going to fight with you. They're going to probably say mean things about your mother, okay? But what you do is you just take the keys. There's no discussion. There's no reasoning. There's no waiting for them uh, to say, to volunteer their keys. You just take the keys, now, what you hope is that there'll be a day, it could be the next day, it could be the next week, it could be the next month, that friend of yours will come up to you and say, thank you. Thank you for taking my keys. Uh, it was the right thing to do. I appreciate you kind of being rough with me and just taking them from me because I wasn't in a good place, and something bad probably would have happened. And so I appreciate you being that kind of 
strong with me to do that, to move like that. The point being is while we may have situations where it feel like God is being strong with us, God is being rough with us, that God is, is being strong in his discipline with us and we may not understand it, there will be a day, be it now or when we get to heaven, where we understand why God was rough with us, so to speak, why he did certain things in our lives. And so when I say look at your situation through the, the eyes of providence, it, it's, it's in the sense of or in the spirit of factor God into the equation of what is happening to you. This thing is, is, is not to God punishing you, not God doing bad things to you, but God is teaching, God is growing, God is shaping, and for us to be open to that work in our lives. The second point, God's providence as personal. God's providence is trustworthy. Why we can trust him, his good providence. Why is it uh, personal? This is what I, I mean by personal. First, let's think about some of the evidence for why it's personal in our lives. There's at least four of them, I believe. The first is the personal name of God is used. The word, um, or the title Lord is used. It's referred to five times in this passage. Not the generic God, creator God, but the Lord, the covenant-keeping God. That personal name of God is used, inviting us to trust him. Another thing is to notice that it feels like there's two different voices speaking in this passage. This is what I mean by that. In verses 1 and 2, it's, it, feels, it has the feel of a voice of uncertainty, a voice of, I don't know what's going to happen, uh, a voice of, of, of fear, a voice of, a voice of immaturity. But when you get to verse 3, the tone changes. There's a sense of confidence. The Lord is my keeper. He doesn't sleep. He doesn't slumber. He, he's going to shade me. He's going to comfort me. He's going to be faithful to me. And so it's like you hear this, this voice of confidence, this voice of experience. I've been through hard times, and I know that he's been there with me. And so I can make this, this, this uh, statement that, God, you are for me, and I know this, and I can trust you in this situation. Another reason to take God's, God, God's providence personally is six times the word keeper is used. I've read to you... My passage I read is the English Standard Version. It's different from what you have in your, in your pews. But in that version, the word keeper is used six times in this passage. It simply means to keep, to watch over, to guard, to attend to carefully. Meaning God is going to keep us from harm. He's going to, to keep working and watching over us, our lives, according to his will, according to his good purposes. One commentator suggests, think about it like God as a keeper is, is God like a, like a shepherd, like a shepherd watching over his sheep. What does a shepherd do? He watches over, keeps them safe, keeps them fed, keeps them on path, keeps them, keeps them focused, keeps them together. The only problem with that analogy is that the shepherd what? shepherd's got to sleep. shepherd's got to eat. shepherd can't be on call 24-7, literally watching all the time. But the shepherd that watches over us does not slumber, does not need to rest. He watches over us with what? His divine attributes, his all-knowing wisdom, his complete power, his complete ability, his, his perfect love. 
His perfect faithfulness, His perfect goodness and patience and long-suffering, that's who watches over you. That's who keeps you. That's why we should take His providence personally in our lives. Probably the thing that stood out to you most of all was the promises that are here. He does not let your foot be moved. He is our keeper. The sun will not strike you in the day or the moon by night. He will keep you from evil. He will keep your going out and your coming in. He's going to watch over you this afternoon. He's going to watch over you tomorrow, Friday, next week, the end of the summer. He's going to watch over you when you get into that next stage of life. He's going to watch over you when things are bad and when things are good. He's going to watch over you when you are angry and you're impatient and you're difficult to be with and you're frustrating others and you're doing things that are not healthy for you. He is going to watch over you. He is going to keep you. He is with you with his divine attributes, with his divine person, with his divine character, never slumbering, never sleeping. His promises are that rich. Remember that the promise of the psalm is not that you will never stub your toes, so to speak, not that you will n- never be hurt or injured, but the promise of the psalm is that God will stay in your life and keep in your life and watch over your life as he's working his will and his plan in your life and in your world, as he's working you according to his purposes, that nothing will separate you from his purposes in your life. Y'all know how honest the Bible is. It it never promises us, hey, be a Christian, believe God's word, obey him, and bad things will never happen to you. That's not what we see in the scriptures. God's word promises there will be difficulty. There will be challenges. There will be struggles. But in the midst of all those things, God is our keeper in the sense that he will keep working his good purposes, his good will into our lives. And so I think that natural response to this, to these promises, is that we pray. That we pray the reality of these truths into our hearts and into our minds and into our lives. Not just here in these moments, not just this afternoon, maybe, but we remember this, this psalm, remember this truth all throughout the summer, all throughout our days, praying the reality of these things into us. And the reason I say pray is we have to unlearn our fears. It's easy for us to fear. It's easy for us to worry. It's easy for us to, to imagine. We have these great imaginations of what could go wrong, and what if they say this, or what if this happens, what if that, what if that. We have to unlearn our fear. And the only way we're going to unlearn our fear is take these promises. Is take God's providence in a personal way into your life and pray the reality and truth of these things deep down into our hearts and into our being. Now some hear this, they think, pray in providence. And some of us hear that and and we think, it doesn't really go together. If God is, is providential... He's all-knowing and all-caring, and, and he is working according to, to his will and to his way. Why should I pray? What good does prayer do? I mean, it'd be great to pray, and it'd be great because I'd maybe feel a little bit closer to God, and I'd feel that much more obedient to him. 
But at the end of the day, I don't really need to play, pray because God's providence is going to rule over all. Yes, on the one hand, the, the Bible is clear that, that God is in control. He's in full control. It, the Sermon on the Mount, that Jesus says, before we even ask, he knows. Think about that. Before it, those words are even on our tongues, come out of our mouths, he already knows how powerful that is. And then you have like Psalm 115, where God it says that God is in the heaven and he does what he wants to do. He does according to his will. It's pretty, it's pretty scary if you think about it. That he's doing according to his will. Nobody can control him. And yet the invitation of Scripture at the same time is, is to pray, is to come to him. And so we read stuff about God's providence and God's control, and consciously or unconsciously, it was like, does it do any good to pray? Do I really need to pray? I mean, it'd be nice to pray. I struggle with prayer, so I'm just going to lean in on God's providence, and whatever happens, happens. Well, think about what's going on when you pray. When, you, when this psalmist prays, what, what does he want? He wants to see change. He wants to see change to his circumstances. It's why you pray. Uh, this needs to change. I want this to change. I don't like this. This would be so much better, and it would fit according to your will, according to your purposes. So we pray to see change. The psalmist is saying, God, I'm, he's not trying to force God into anything. He's not trying to manipulate God into any of these things. He knows how much of a, how powerful he is. There's nothing he can do to manipulate him. So why does he pray? One of our children when he was one, one and a half years old, um, you know, he was really quiet, okay? And uh, we wanted him to talk. We don't want him to talk too much, okay? We don't want too many words, but we want him to talk and to not make noises at us when he has a need. And so what we would do is he loved puzzles at the time. So he had these 30-piece kind of Elmo uh, puzzles or Thomas the Train puzzles, and we would do the puzzle with him, and uh, he would know the next piece, or we want to give him the next piece to use, but we say, you can't have the piece until you say something, until you say please, or you just say, you know, use a word to say that you want that piece. Or if we're at the dinner table and he wants something to drink, it's like, we're not going to give him milk, not because we're mean to him, but because we want him to say please to us. Now, is he manipulating us when he uses those words? Are we wanting to manipulate him? No. We want to relate to him. We want to talk to him. We want him to talk to us. There's no manipulation going on. We're not trying to, to, to drag something out of him, but we want him to talk. We want to relate to him. We want him to know us, and we want us, and we want to know him. Why do you pray? Part of it is because God has commanded it, and in that praying, he wants you to know him. He wants you to experience him, to draw near to him and know the reality and truth of him. And the way you're going to do that is to pray, is to talk to him, to relate to him. He wants to work through your prayers. He wants to work through who you are. He wants you to take part in his mission and in the accomplishing of his will. He wants to use you to share your faith. He wants to use you to, by, by you giving your offering. He wants to use you by, by you walking by faith and exercising um, obedience in this or that area. He wants to glorify his name through you. That's why we pray, so that we can know him. Of course he's providential. Of course he's sovereign. Of course he's in control. But he invites us to know him, experience the reality of that. 
and to be used by him. Let me close with this. The psalmist is saying, look beyond the hills. Look beyond your circumstances. Look beyond your reality, so to speak. And and look at him who's behind that, the, the creator of heaven and earth. And know those promises. Your fears may drive you to look over the hills. Your problems may drive you to look over the hills. But don't let your eyes linger there on your problems, on your difficulties. Take in the full reality of who God is for you. The truth of him. That's the, the lesson of Psalm 121. That's, that's what this psalm models to us, that we need to see and take all of our needs to him and experience his help in our lives. Now, here's the thing. A lot of us have been around individuals who, um, who we know do not have a real strong religious or spiritual background, and yet at moments they'll cry out, God, help me. Or I need God to, to work. Or God, you know, somehow they're, they're calling upon God to help them. Even though they don't have the strong belief in their, in their lives. These strong convictions, you might say. I'm not trying to uh, look down on them. But what I'm trying to say is it's easy to believe in God. In the idea of God. What Psalm 121 is pushing towards us is don't believe in just the idea of God. Believe in a God who personally loves you. Believe in a God in such a way that you personally know these truths, these promises belong to you. And if you're missing why that's the case and the reality of that, think about it like this. Why is it that God can say that I will be your keeper? Why is it God can say that I'm going to watch over you, that, that I'm that concerned about you? Why can he say that? At the end of this service, we're going to use a, a benediction that comes from Numbers that goes like this. You've heard it before. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord will lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Why is it that the Lord can bless us? Why does he want to share his, it, give us his grace and shine his countenance upon us, give us his presence? It's because of Christ. Because Christ on that cross knew the curse. He knew what it was like to have God turn away from him, to not to bless, but to distance himself. And because Christ did that for you, you can take the reality of God, the reality of these promises, the truth of these promises, and make them yours. That they are true of you personally. They are true of his church. Not because there's something special about you, because God loves you because of what Christ has done for us. So let's embrace him as a God who loves us with his personal promises. Would you pray with me? Father God, it would be easy to take this song. You're our keeper. You don't slumber. You won't sleep. And, and all the richness that's there. And to be encouraged by it but to quickly be distracted by our fears, by our activities, by our busyness. Father God, I pray that the the weight of these promises, these truths, that the conviction that we need help would continually drive us back to your word, to the cross, into your presence, into these promises, the richness, 
and the graciousness and the power that is here, that we would rest in those things, celebrate those things, and depend upon those things. We ask in Christ's holy name. Amen.